Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Cycle Podcast, Season 3, Episode 7. In today's show, I chat with Georgie who actually had asymptomatic endometriosis. She did not present any symptoms that she knew of and didn't discover that she had endometriosis until she started to try to get pregnant. She was told that she had unexplained infertility. We chat about her story today, and I just want to let you know we do talk a lot about pregnancy and fertility treatments in this episode, just in case that's a potential trigger for you. I just wanted to let you know. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, and I hope you're doing well. Now off to the show. Hello, everyone. I have a very special guest. I always have a very special guest, but I have a That's very true. special you guest. Have great guest. <laughs> and a friend with me today. So, Georgie, welcome to the show. She is from New York. We actually met at an endo patient conference back in 2018. Was it 2018? It was 2018 or 2019. I don't remember, but it was one of those years and um, we were standing by each other and I think we were both maybe crying at one point, but anyway, so we have kept in close touch since then and welcome to the show, Georgie. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, non-endo related, anything and everything. Sure. Thanks Melissa for having me. It's such an honor to know you and, uh, you know, crying can bond us, right? So... (laughs) My name is Georgie Kovacs, and I am first, uh, I guess I would say, a mom of an awesome five-year-old little boy who I um, worked very hard to have through many years of fertility treatments. I'm originally from Florida. My parents are immigrants from Hungary, and that's where they got sponsored. And I slowly made my way to the Northeast, and now I live in Manhattan, And it's funny because when I grew up in Florida, I was like, ah, when I'm older, I'm going to move to Tampa. And it's so crazy. Like the more I got exposed to things, I ended up in Manhattan. Um, (laughs) Definitely different than Tampa. Yep. And I've spent my whole career in the biopharmaceutical industry. Um, I've been a consultant and working in sales, marketing and training And in my free time, I have so many interests that I probably need to live about 10 lives. Um, But I do love to travel. Solo travel, solo dining is so fun because you meet the most cool people ever. And uh, right now, I love crafts, but I spend now, it's once a year when my son has his birthday, I go on Pinterest like two months before I do my research and I make him the best birthday cake ever and do lots of crafts. And then I'm done for a year because that's all I have time for. So just right. a random, random bit of tidbits about me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's exactly what I wanted. Exactly what I wanted. Thank you for giving us a little peek behind the curtain. So, sure. Um, so I typically usually start asking people, you know, when did you start your period? Was it painful? But because we know each other so well, and for the listeners, Georgie actually was asymptomatic or what we think was asymptomatic. And she has some reflections to share. So, you know, you can talk about when you started your period, but you didn't really have any symptoms until what happened? Where, where were you in a place where all of a sudden you started to know something in your gut, like something was off? Sure. So, um, first of all, I have to say, uh, well, I'll start with this. So what happened is after my wedding, 
I remember a friend of mine, his wife got pregnant right away after birth control. And I got married and did my, had my honeymoon a few months later because I didn't want to be exhausted on the honeymoon. We wanted to like recover. And I come back from my honeymoon and I had an appointment with my OBGYN, probably like my annual exam or whatever. And she, oh, and sorry, the birth control piece. So I didn't want to get pregnant while before the honeymoon. I was like, oh, I'm going to get pregnant. I had it planned. I'm going to get pregnant on my honeymoon. I'm going to come back and then we're life, our life is going to start. I was like 36 years old, you know, had a plan. Thought nothing of um, the appointment when she asked me some questions. And then I get a call the next day and it was, um, you need to go to a fertility clinic. I'm like, what? And I think from then until I had my son, I lived in a daze because I go to this clinic and they stick this rod. Well, first they do all the interviews and discussions where everything was wonderful. And then they're like, oh, come in for an appointment. And I literally felt like I was just like taken away and like on a, a conveyor belt of, and just like having people come all over me without any knowledge. And they, you know, stick the big rod in. The guy comes in. I've never met this doctor. Hi. Doesn't even, actually, I don't think he said hello. Puts the thing in my vagina, looks at this screen, and he said, you need an IVF now. And I'm like, what? Now, and is so this still, I, I, wait, is this before the the honeymoon still? No, now this is after the honeymoon. And so I'm like, what? I called my OBGY and I said, I need a doctor who's going to have a conversation. This is traumatic. The guy didn't even say hello. It was actually at one of the top fertility clinics, which is unfortunate because if I would have stayed there, things could have worked out differently. But um, I just was so panicked and shocked because I didn't know anything about fertility. My grandmother has 14 kids. No one in my family had issues. Granted, everyone had kids when they were extremely young and I was much older. But and wait, 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 go back, Georgie. So <laughs> you go on your honeymoon. It's great you don't get pregnant. And then is this when you go to your OB and then she, how long had no, it been? It random timing. Like all of this happened. Like, so I get married and yeah. then I go on the honeymoon and I think like either, I think right when I got back, I happened to have an appointment. It was okay. nothing, okay. Had nothing okay. to do with. I didn't know if like you were trying for a year no, or something. Got it. This no. is like right after randomly this all happens. Okay. So then right. you go to this top specialist who was not very nice to you. What happens next? So then I called the OBGYN and I was like, what? So she sends me to this other doctor and he would sit with me, but then it was the other extreme for hours. I would be there for like five hours a day sitting on my laptop, typing away my emails, you know, trying to figure out how to like be a consultant for clients while at the same time sitting in these doctor's office to do fertility treatments. And then I'd wait for him to tell me what was going on. And he had like the, the, the fake tan and the big boat behind him. And I was always perplexed. And after about a year, I, um, and I was always only producing like six follicles. And at this point, this is a decade or so ago, people weren't really talking as much. So you're kind of just figuring out as you go. And uh, I finally went to one of his nurses and I'm like, what's the deal here? And she goes, I think you need to move on. So that had me go to, um, I think in four years, I went to 10 reproductive endocrinologists. And the reason why I did that, like, you know, now looking back, I, I mean, who knows if it was a good idea. I did the best I could every day. But what would happen is when I didn't feel like they were giving me 
anything clear, anything different after paying all this money and doing all these injections, I would just move on. And I would like talk to people and try to get information around who else to go to. And I was so frustrated because I said, look, either you're not trying hard enough or science has not caught up and figured out what's wrong with women like me because unexplained infertility is a BS diagnosis and I want you to find an answer. So there was one point where I um, spoke to um, the, one of the clinics and I just said, try harder, do more tests. And so they did a miscarriage panel and found that I had MTHFR. And so I started the extra folic acid and I just still kept trying. And so now let's get to endo. <clears throat> wait, 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 before what? we get into endo. So you see these 10 spot, you see all of these doctors. And during this time you're doing, are you doing hormone and IVF treatments? I did 11 IUIs. Okay. And at that point I had done a cup, a few IVFs. Cause I took breaks. Like I was like, I'm done. Yeah. So I thought maybe if I did a year of, you know, acupuncture, Chinese medicine, just got the stuff out of my system, tried naturally learned more about all these different, you know, fertility methods and apps and all these things, it would help nothing. So how, what's, what's the time frame, right? So that you get married, how long now is this that you see these 10 doctors are, it Is was a couple years, three years before my diagnosis. And how were you like, were you just so engulfed in this? Was this like every, I mean, I know you took breaks, which I think I can't even imagine would be so necessary, but were you just like taking the hormones and just like going through the motions or were you like, why can't I get pregnant? Like what was going on with you mentally during this time yes, period? Yes, to all of that. Yeah. So it was like, I, I seriously was a robot and I'm going to just fully admit you know, there are women who like track and post and do Excel spreadsheets on like their numbers. I never did that because I was so like, I, I literally think I was just on this conveyor belt or whatever, just like, who's going to hit me next? I'm just going to keep going through. Cause it, and like, so I did the research to understand, but I wasn't tracking because I didn't feel like any of that mattered. I knew it was something else. So I focused on like, why? Yeah. You were going through the motions. You were just like, yeah. I need to get pregnant. These are all the yeah. things I need to do. And I'm just going to keep pushing until I get there. So I did like, um, embryo banking. I did. Um, I also, by the way, for one of 13 of those months, I was a consultant with a client in California. So I had a whole setup. So I would, um, and the whole time I wasn't doing the fertility treatments, I was either doing treatments or like getting healthy. And so I would Monday mornings get on the plane, Thursdays oh fly back, and I had an acupuncturist on the West Coast, an acupuncturist on the East Coast, and I, based on like, I think I did travel every single week, so I think I always went to the California acupuncturist. I found a reproductive immunologist in California who did some testing. And by the way, can I just say, like, I feel almost guilty saying this because some are like, good for you that you could do acupuncture. Yes, good for me that I could. And it stinks that it's not available to everyone. Um, I luckily had insurance that would cover it because it's a lot of treatments. Um, mm -hmm. So that's probably like a whole different topic. So I do want to acknowledge I was very lucky, but I, we did go through our entire savings. So yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Trying to do that. this. Yeah. Um, but so I had that whole setup. And then if I was doing a treatment, I had started 
the immune part. And I'm now trying to figure out how that happened because I didn't meet the doctor that helped me get pregnant until I think after all this travel. But um, what happened is like I would need infusions delivered, drugs delivered. And so, and because some of the things were out of New York, somehow they would magically get shipped there. I'd have to go to UCSF and like go there first thing in the morning before they open and beg and plead and remind them a hundred thousand times that when they do the blood work and when the results skin, I'm the first patient they have to send results to because it has to go to New York because they're closing. They have to call me with the results of, right. you know, do I have enough drug on me? What is going to be my next dose? And it was insane. Um, and so like, yeah, it was, I mean, I'm sure it was a I lot. Say it, I'm yeah. like, I'm crazy, but I just, I, yeah. You're not crazy. I mean, you were just determined to get it done and you were just pushing and following all of the steps. And, you know, I, I personally don't know what it's like to go through fertility treatments because I haven't, but I know that there is a lot involved and there's steps and, and I'm, I, I can only imagine doing that and going back and forth East coast and West coast. I mean, that's a lot for one person. Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, I will say the the sanity I think was it was a schedule. Yeah. I knew when my flight was. Yep. I even like got the same food for the flight. Yeah. <laughs> I right. Knew you place just the airport I was going. I just cre- I had like to think of that hotel. Right. I just kept it a routine so that it didn't feel as um chaotic. So, with all of these 10 doctors, did anyone ever say Clearly not, I'm guessing no one ever said endo, but they, it was just unexplained infertility. That's what they all just kept telling you. They just kept saying unexplained infertility, unexplained infertility. Okay. So then what happens next? Well, so I will say first, it got really scary because I was always producing a lot of follicles and the last doctor I went to where we had a whole new innovative way of treating me, I stopped producing eggs. And then I produced one and it wasn't viable to even take out. Um, And I was on Lupron and um, I completely freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, this is over. And um, I then somehow got introduced into reproductive immunology, which is what leads me to the endo story. So I think if, if I hadn't failed there, I may have been going at this for longer. So in some ways it's like grateful that I failed so miserably yeah. because it forced me. And this is what kept happening is like something would be clear of like, we're done at this clinic. And so I then had to find a clinic that would do something different. Right. And I honestly care. I think what, ha- oh, I know what happened when I finished with my client, she said, um, when I was done commuting, I told her my story and I started talking about it. And like everyone I was talking to was having issues. It was so crazy. And she's, she told me she did reproductive immunology. And I had a friend who's a doctor who said that my results showed that I was fine and that I didn't have any issues and demanded data and science behind it. And as you know, now, like we just don't understand endo. And so if if it weren't for that client, I probably, again, wouldn't have gone to the immunologist. And so I spoke to this doctor at this particular fertility clinic when I was failing and I was like, nothing's working. And he goes, look, 
people do reproductive immunology and I'm not going to tell you it's going to work and I'm not going to tell you it's not going to work. I'm willing to partner. So the whole setup was going to be, I was going to work with the reproductive immunologist and they were going to do the, the fertility treatments. And I just decided to do all in one. So I moved doctors and it was Dr. Jeff, I'll just tell you, it was Dr. Jeffrey Braverman who has since passed away. And I went to his funeral. Um, that's how big of a deal he, he was. He was the guy and he did some tests again. And I sat down with my then husband and he said, look, you have unexplained infertility, uh, not unexplained, sorry. <laughs> I'm like so trained on this word. Oh God. <laughs> um, you have silent endometriosis. And he said, you have, um, you could, the only way to know for sure is to get a laparoscopic surgery. So I come home and I looked at my then husband and I said, okay, it's 10 grand at least to do an IVF, five to do the surgery. Since the IVFs for IUIs, you name it, are not working. They're not even getting me pregnant. I'm getting nothing, no chemical pregnancies. Um, let's do this. So I did the surgery and um, it turned out I had, I, I, can't, I can never remember, it was either stage three or four I do remember the funniest little thing is they had to tie my ovary to my, they, it was like, I it's guess the most the suspension. It's yeah. the most painful thing ever. <laughs> and so they come out and the surgery took longer than expected. Yeah. And it was pretty bad, Yeah. but yet I didn't have, and, and I've, I honestly, like, as I've gotten to know the endo community, I have felt horribly guilty because I didn't have the the symptoms but it's like i don't know which is worse to like live with this condition that's affecting you and you have no idea because you can't even feel it or one you feel every day like they're they're it's I think you can't i think you can't feel bad about that because look at all look at what you had to go through for infertility though yeah, i mean that was still and was an incredible journey and even after it was an incredible journey so did you Google, like, did you go home and did you ask him like Google, like, were you like, what is endometriosis at this point? Do you have any idea what it means? I have to be honest with you. I, I don't, I'm sure that I did because I like research everything. Um, but I, I like, I think even then, like, it just wasn't talked about like yeah. now, No, I, I mean, don't. it's been an explosion in, how much information is public now about how difficult it is to deal with. So I think I was more at the very beginnings of when people started talking about it. So even if I had researched it, I don't, I don't like, I honestly just remember Braverman saying, I think you have this. And then my surgeon saying, oh, heck yes, you did. Yeah. And then the other thing I remember is at that point I had had so shoulder surgery and bunion surgery twice because while traveling, I actually smushed my foot right after surgery into a desk and I'm not clumsy. I'm like, seriously, it has to happen right after surgery. So I rebroke the bone. Oh. Endo was hard. Like I, I will say I was fortunate. It was not a lot of time out of work, but because it's in your stomach, I didn't realize how much. So I guess just to say relative to the others, I didn't have to take pain meds for any of the others, but for this, oh, wow. It's a big and, surgery. Yeah. Um, I had actually, it was on Oxy and unfortunately my um, father had gotten addicted to it. And so I was really nervous because by day two, I was like, woo, 
And so I called my psychiatrist and she's like, you are never allowed to take this ever again. Get off of it right now. Yeah. So I think I did ibuprofen and like suffered from the rest and like never got up because the minute I moved, I'm like, I can't hurt so bad. Yeah. Yeah. For (laughs) sure. For sure. And so they take, they do the pathology, you get diagnosed with endo and are they now like, okay, this is your path to getting pregnant now. Yeah. So then I had a bunch of things happening in my life and I basically decided that at the end of the year, I would do another treatment. And I kind of did the, oh, I'm going to be that person who's going to get pregnant right after the endo surgery. Cause a lot of folks do. Did they tell you that you wouldn't be able to naturally, that you would have to still do a treatment after the surgery? Well, that's, what's interesting is they did. And I never understood why, to be honest with you. And unfortunately I can't now call Dr. Braberman to ask. Um, but as you know, the thing is you're filled with so many questions that it's like, you can't remember everything to ask, Of course. but you know, they did tell me that. And I, I think I did try to ask and I never really got a clear answer because when you think about the manifestation of endometriosis, it's an inflammatory condition. And so I didn't know and I think he did answer, but it just wasn't, I guess, to my satisfaction, because I think people still, you know, whatever. But I I was told I needed to do an IVF, and they, I was told I could potentially get pregnant after, but it was just still unclear the nuance of why, because I'm like, structurally, I was fine. I had this inflammatory condition, but now, you know, you've got like this test receptiva DX that tests BCL six, which is an inflammatory condition and it could indicate endometriosis. But the thing is, if you do, um, test positive, their recommendation is the surgery or, you know, the Lupron's of the world. And so I had that and I still didn't get pregnant on my own. So who knows? Like it's, right. cause it's so complicated. It's not yeah, like a yeah. black and white, do this, like a broken no. arm, but you're cast yeah. on and you're healed. Right. That's what's so unfortunate about this whole condition is we still don't understand all the impacts on your body. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I think that's, what's important for people to know is, you know, yes, there's this thing, there's finally a name for it. And it was honestly one of the happiest days of my life because for a long time it was, we don't know what's going on. And now it's, we do. But then the second stage of that is, oh yeah, but we really don't know the meaning of that. <laughs> I mean, right? right? Right, right. No, it's like, so the the feeling of like, yes, your, your gut was right. Something is wrong with you, but unfortunately we just don't know much about the disease. I mean, it's, it is, it's a, it's a toss up on how to feel about that. So what happens after that surgery? So then I live my life and, you know, this is again, where it's, you know, who knows? So that year I had an amazing year after the surgery. It was, I um, had this amazing work project and I ended up um, being able to travel with it. And I saw like sorority sisters that I reunited with, you know, there was Dine en Blanc in New York City. Like it was like this magical time in my life. And so I, I only say that because is it that I had this surgery, this magical time, my body was healing, I felt good. And then I was still researching doctors because I still wasn't sure if I was going to go with um, Dr. Braverman and do immunology. And um, 
I kept interviewing doctors and I said, look, here's the deal. Now I'm the one that's going to make the decisions here. So I took the three best doctors I knew over the three year journey, three, four year journey now. And I said, I, I said, I'm going to have one more consult with each of you. And I, I think I literally asked them, why should I pick you over everyone else? You fully interviewed them. Because I, mean, I was so frustrated at this point. And I felt, I, we hung up the phone with all of them. And I looked at my then husband. And I'm like, I still feel like I'm throwing a ball into a roulette wheel and hope I pick the right situation. And so I did the fertility treatment. And... Um, <laughs> I don't know if Dr. Braverman would want this public, but oh, well, I already said his name. <laughs> so I had the best cycle I'd ever had with the amount of eggs. Um, and so it was seven eggs. So that was the most I ever had. And then I think six of them became embryos. Five of them fully made it. I'm sitting on the table. And at this point, I know how to read scans. I know how to see what's in the Petri dish. I, I feel like I could like treat patients. I mean, I really can't, but I seriously was starting to think I was an expert. So I was sitting there at the table about to do this IVF and I look up and I'm like, why are there five embryos in the Petri dish? And they're like, oh honey, we are here to get you pregnant. And I was like, but what quintuplets? Are you joking? Like, I know the standards. It's like maybe two. And so they said, because of my age, I think I was 40, 41, like most you're getting is twins. And I ended up getting pregnant with one. So we started out with the seven eggs. And, um, and I say this actually also for those who are freezing their eggs, guys, it's not, I mean, yes, you could also argue I was older, but I just want everyone to know number of eggs does not equal number of babies. Right. But yeah, so then I was pregnant. Um, and I just a quick summary to fast forward and then you can ask anything in between. I did try again um, to get pregnant and I tried with my three um, youngest embryos that I had saved all at once. I was going through an absolutely horrible time in my life, but when you're on the fertility hamster wheel, you can't see straight. Yeah. And so um, I used those and I try not to think about it too much because when I do, I'm devastated and I got a chemical pregnancy and I was honestly, you know why I was rushing? Because I was told that two years after you stop breastfeeding, the endo can be back or a year after or whatever. So I was panicking. And so I used that fear to make my decisions even though my life was falling apart. Then I tried another treatment. And um, to, I'm just going to be very honest um, about this, just so women know like the horror stories. So I um, ended up doing another treatment and I, um, I was not feeling that great, but I was told if I wasn't really sick, it would be okay. And I was told your endo may be back. And I'm now hearing some have said, even if the endo were coming back, I should have had the surgery again. Um, and let's just say that the doctor that did that didn't um, have anything helpful to make me feel good about my decision to say about that. And look, everything's meant to be, but I just at least want women to know that you know, when you're struggling with these conditions, um, it's so hard to make decisions. Like, you know, 
I know many women with endo have to have multiple surgeries because of pain. Um, you know, those of us who are trying to have children and are lucky enough to still have our organs to be able to have them, um, you know, can make crazy decisions. And so it just takes a toll on your sanity. And, um, you know, I, I wish um, a lot of things, but that's kind of what had happened. And that's just how little is understood about the disease is the experts don't even agree. And, you know, even before I ran across um, my doctor, um, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, definitely went through so, so much when you reflect back on it, I'm sure. And when you reflect back, do you now that you know so in depth about endometriosis, because I want to talk about what you're doing too and how you're helping others and paying it forward with your experiences, but do you look back now and say, maybe I did have some symptoms, maybe it wasn't the horrible pain, but that now you can almost correlate with endo? So, and this is what's so funny is, you know, I, um, I, I almost feel, I would say yes, a short answer, but I would say what's so strange, and I ask myself this is, um, you know, I'm in the healthcare field, like I've been monitoring this space forever, and I, some of the things I became aware of through the podcast that I'm doing, because I'm talking to so many experts and through the conferences that I attend and hear other people talking, and then I'm like, wait a minute. Um, because I think we women, we aren't taught about our bodies. And like, I hear so many stories with women who have painful periods that their moms say, oh, that's just how it is. And, you know, doctors may say to them the same thing. And we just don't know. And I look back and one is after all of this, I'm like, you know, this you know, sex position kind of doesn't feel that comfortable. Are you joking? This could be because of the endo. Like, I just, I just, I just thought maybe that's just not something you should be doing. Or like, I don't know what I thought. I just, I'm just going to say it. I didn't know. And yeah. then I remembered when I was little, my mom would have to keep coming to school to bring me new pants. Now, uh, to be honest with you, I, I still wonder and I actually, I still don't 100% know, like, I don't feel like I get heavy periods. I don't get what people are talking about. So the question is back then, because I we now know, I'm learning that when young girls start to get their period, it's a hot mess and it takes at least two years to be normalized and into your early 20s for your cycle to be what it's meant to be. And so um, I don't think I had any condition. I think I was just that teenager who had probably heavier bleeds. Um, but you know, also too, like one of the things I wonder is, are, do we have like a predisposition for endometriosis and then something triggers it? Like I've, since my twenties have been under excruciating amount of stress you know, mom with cancer, you know, and there was a lot of drama with um, her illness and some stuff in my family and, you know, just con the fertility treatments and all these things. So, you know, some of the things I wonder is, did I 
not have it as bad or much of it and all this stress just made it go wacky, which affected fertility. And so I honestly just have so many questions and we just don't have answers. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you say, is there something that potentially triggers it? Because I also, I mean, I always had really painful periods growing up, like bad passing out all, you know, the things that you hear, but I went rock climbing and I fell and I broke my back and I broke my ankle and I broke my elbows. I had a rock climbing accident. And it was the year after that, that my endo went like haywire where I was sick every day. And I was just like, I wonder if the inflammation from that tragic event triggered the endo to be worse. I mean, and again, we're not doctors, we have no idea, but I, after I never thought of it until I met someone who was on like a four wheeler and she got into a four wheeling accident and then her endo got really bad after that. So that was, that was the first thing that I was like, wait a minute. I also broke my back and I got really sick after. Well, so, okay. I wasn't going to say this, but since you brought it up, crazy story. So I had interviewed this woman on the podcast and she's like, you got to come in for a treatment. And I was delaying, delaying, delaying. And just because I was busy, it wasn't anything else. And I finally go in for a treatment and she does massage and acupuncture. And so I went in and I just randomly was like, my hips are bothering me. Like I can't lift my legs. Like when I was pregnant at Pure Bar, they would yell at me because I would go on my knees to do these exercises because I couldn't bend over. And um, I said to them, like, I'm going to pass out. I can't even hold myself on one leg. And um, I mean, they weren't yelling. They were just worried about me suing them. I'm like, I will sue you by standing because I can't and it hurts. And so I just got on my knees and was like, whatever. So she said, "Um, did, did something happen to you? Because your tailbone is in the shape of an L and it shouldn't be. And I think you need to go to a pelvic floor PT and get this fixed. So she started working on it. And about a week later, I'm like, hold on a minute. When I was in grad school at NYU, we went skiing in Vermont and I had a bad fall. It was so bad that my entire backside was black and blue and green and all those colors. It was the most massive bruise. It was like the size of a head. And I, again, I thought nothing of it. I mean, it hurt. Like I was seeing stars, but like I could walk. I didn't know you could break a tailbone. Like I assumed if I broke something, I wouldn't have been able to get up. And so I have, I was, and so I was interviewing a woman um, about vulvodynia And she said that on their screening, they actually ask people about their tailbone because it's so common that it can also have a downstream impact. So I asked her, I said, look, I'm not a scientist, but could this have triggered my endo? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? A ski accident is what led. And because of my long journey of these doctors not having answers, I was now too old to have more children. Like the impact, the downstream of all of this, like not understanding, not being like if someone would have said, hey, people, so I'm just going to tell all the ladies, if you have a broken tailbone (laughs) or you injure yourself, like somehow we need to understand the inflammatory impacts of that. And so 
thank you for saying because I wanted to share the story, but I didn't know if people would think I'm crazy. Um, but yeah, no, no I'm, I mean, you're not the only person that I've spoken to. I mean, car accidents, other surgeries I've heard. And again, there's no data, there's no agree, science agree. to back this up. So anyone agree, who's yes. listening, like, <laughs> yeah. don't feel like your endo isn't as valid too. If you haven't had an accident or something, I just think maybe it makes it worse or it triggers it or something yeah. because the inflammatory, it's already an inflammatory disease. So maybe it just enhances the pain. I don't know, but I guess for you, you still didn't have the pain, but I, we could speculate forever, but I, you have learned so much from this. So you decided to launch, you have a podcast, you have a beautiful website. Tell us about why you did all of this and what you're doing. Sure. I mean, honestly, it, it started with this whole experience I and mean, I've been in healthcare and I've, and I, because in, I'm a consultant, so, and my expertise is process optimization. So I, I see everything as how puzzle pieces fit together. It's like what I do best. And so just, I, I guess I've been collecting this data over my, my career about the healthcare system and how it can be improved. And I always knew I wanted to build something on my own. And part of it was lack of clarity. Part of it was how do I get started? Because I felt like the problem to solve was so big. And so yeah. then I had my, you know, fertility journey. So I started thinking more about it. And again, I just wasn't 100% sure how to get started. And then NYU sent an email out. And that's where I went for grad school. that They were doing a business plan competition. And I called them up and I'm like, I know a topic, but I don't have a business. And they said, no problem. We help you. And so I decided to start a company around infertility. But through that journey, what I realized is I'm, this is not a, health is not a fertility thing. It's a women's health thing. Because if you can't, like in my case, if I couldn't solve for the endo, I couldn't get pregnant. And so I was like, and our bodies are made to make babies, even if we don't want to have one. And I don't know if we women get that. And so um, I said, this is a women's health problem. And what I, um, I was really struggling how to formulate it. And then one day I just kind of said, who reads blogs? Everyone's like listening to podcasts. And so I did a test run where some people that I was interviewing for my blog, I just transferred them to a podcast and people were listening without me even talking about it. And so I said, I, I, I guess I'm becoming a podcaster then. <laughs> and so because I'm in industry and went to so many experts, I mean, I have tried the doctors, I've tried the acupuncturists, you name it. Like I've experienced these people and I kind of have my trusted network. So if I don't know a sub expert, then I contact the people that I trust. And I'm like, who's the best at X. Like I have someone I'm going to be interviewing on CBD. I cannot wait. And, um, and so the podcast, the purpose of it is I want women to hear from experts, the challenges that are real. So I want women to know what is known, what isn't known, how to ask questions of their doctor and to get that information way faster so they're not waiting years to find the answer to get pregnant to minimize their pain minimize their heartache because the thing is what people need to realize is on google it's seo optimized and what i have found even having been at this for a long time um you know one it'll be like 
businesses that are advertising their business and grant okay we're all a business that's i get that but like you know it'll either be generic information or something that's tying you to um a business that is trying to sell something and um and i'm not saying they're giving misinformation to sell you but i think it tends to be fairly generic and unless you know like if you google endo that's one thing but if you're there could be like some subtopic under there that women wouldn't find because they wouldn't know the exact words to google to get the right information and so this podcast has been incredible um, and i think what's helpful is because i've been a patient and i'm in industry I know the questions to ask and I'm not afraid to ask the weird ones and scary ones um, because I, I'm just genuinely so curious and it's been an absolute blast. Um, the people that I have met are incredible and you know you just realize one how much people do know but how hard it is to find them but also how much hope there is for women's health and I love it. Um, yep. And so I, my mission really is to transform women's health, all of it. And I'm starting with the podcast and seeing what happens next. And it's, it's a true joy. So where can we find this podcast and what is it called? Sure. It's the Fem Power Health Podcast. So think of the word empower with the F in front of it. And you can find it on any of the listening tools, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. I also have a website, fempower-health.com. And I have on their um, blogs, a lot of them are summarized of the podcast. Um, you can find the podcast there. I also have just basic information on different conditions and different places to route to, as well as, um, you know, products that people talk about on the podcast or products that I have found people recommend that I trust in just in case people are looking for like books or things like that. And really what I see is because it's so hard to find the information, what I envision FemPower Health is being the center point where, you know, I help women like come here to, to figure out the basics, but then through the podcast and the information, I'm helping route you to where you need to go to dive really, 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 really deep. Yeah. And um, it seems to be working and I'm just thrilled and honored um, to be doing this truly. Well, I'm sure so many people are so grateful for you taking the time to do it and helping them. And like you said, cutting gears off of their potential journey that you had to go through so they can get the treatment they need right away. Reflecting back on all of this and mostly with the fertility journey, is there anything that you on a parting note want to leave just advice, tips, tricks, something that you learned that you want to leave for the people listening that might help them? Sure. I think that the summary is one, please be aware that there's a lot that still needs to be understood about women's health. And so it's really important to monitor your body and to listen to your gut and to do your research and to track information. You know, I think one of the um, people that I spoke to said, you know, we move around a lot. And so, you know, if you're going doctor to doctor and depending on if and how the medical records are transferred because of the way the data, even with computers, it's not ladies, it's not like it's being transferred perfectly unless you make it happen and the way they collect it it's hard to find 
And so, um, you know, when you have that stream of information all over the place, that can also impact your care. But, you know, please remember doctors are humans. The doctors I've interviewed also said, think of the doctors as a consultant, you're the expert on your body. And so if you're not finding the answers, you know, join Facebook groups that are specific to your topic. Granted, you may have a lot of symptoms where you can't figure out the answer and it can be multiple conditions, but just don't, don't stop and don't give up. And you're not alone. There's so many people who face this, but I guess the one sentence is trust your gut, like really. It's a theme for this, for this show, because I say it all the time and the guests say it all the time, your intuition knows. So keep fighting until you get the answers that you deserve and that you know are right. And I just want to thank you, Melissa, because, you know, your journey is truly incredible. And, you. you know, to, you know, I think you're making such a, a difference and I love that you're interviewing women with endometriosis and also just talking to other experts about other aspects because I think the more women hear even people like them talking, it, it helps with that sometimes feeling of isolation and, and fear. And you know, while the data is missing, they can refer to that to start to put the pieces together for their own journey. So thank you for, for doing oh, that. I think it's such a you. great great approach. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the work that you do and coming on and chatting with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your support, listening in and all of your positive feedback. It means so much to me. If you'd like to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. If you could do that on Apple Podcasts, that helps us get more guests helps us get higher search ranking. And I just really appreciate all of that good feedback because it helps people discover the cycle podcast. Also, if you want to keep the conversation going, please join the Facebook group. There is the link in the show notes and it's just a group, a very small group of people who listen to the podcast and guests who have been on the podcast. If you want to further the conversation. And lastly, This podcast is not a replacement for medical advice or treatment, so always have to put that disclaimer in there. Please always, always talk to your doctor, and thank you so much for listening, supporting the cycle. It means everything to me, and I just hope that this is helping you and you're feeling okay today. Thank you again.